Hello, everyone. Welcome to PM versus PMM, a podcast about products and product roles. This is Arjun. Hi, my name is Aditi. And today we're talking about the product roadmap and how to decide what comes next. So traditionally for product roadmaps, what happens is that teams across the company will come together and put a list, the things that the team thinks should be worked on. Specifically, the product managers will come bringing the user perspective as well as the engineering perspective. And product marketing managers will come and bring in the sales and marketing perspective and user perspective. What then happens is we'll do a cost benefit analysis for each item. How much benefit do we get from each suggestion versus how much cost will it take to build that? And you'll get a nicely prioritized list, which will make up your roadmap. Unfortunately, this is much easier said than done. Aditi, how do we have problems with making a roadmap when in this process? Well, there's a couple of things that I see issues with doing a very black and white cost benefit analysis for roadmap decisions is when I'm coming in with a certain perspective about what the customer is looking for, what they need and what I'm coming in with the futuristic perspective where we're looking at what has the most potential for future sales. It's hard to quantify that in the moment, right? You know that there's a certain 10 customers that really need this product today. You can estimate a certain number of customers will need it once you launch it. But sometimes that one feature can be a bigger deal. So for me, when I come in and I talk to you about certain features and the importance of them, it sometimes can get buried in on the cost of it. And things that are quicker to ship out tend to get prioritized higher and we don't actually end up shipping the features that we really need what happens is we work on smaller features that have a smaller benefit but also a smaller cost yeah that makes a lot of sense i think like from your perspective you're looking at the market and what the market needs and from the pm's perspective and the engineering team's perspective we're looking at the product and what is missing in our product that users are doing right now. And I think it's really down to this simple cost benefit analysis to determine what's more important. I think that analysis might be way too simple. You know, I think another big problem is that the cost benefit analysis is not like deep enough to get into understanding the values and costs of each thing. And you're not able to communicate on the same page because of that, right? Because we're coming from two completely different places, the communication gets really difficult. In cost-benefit analysis and prioritizing purely based on that, we have a tendency to lose sight of the product vision at the same time. Mm -hmm. We see quick wins and we're trying to achieve short-term goals while we're losing sight of the longer term goals that we had when we first started building the product in the first place. Or maybe we set a certain vision for the beginning of the half a year or a year and we and we kind of lose sight of them. Mm. And I think 
something as simplified as a cost-benefit analysis can be a big problem and analysis that can result in the lack of bigger vision. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, product board, which is a, a product tool application, has a really interesting feature in their roadmap decision-making tool where you can create different columns that analyze different qualities of a feature. And I think that that might be a much better approach than simple cost-benefit. However, it's really difficult to understand each item and understand rank each item of importance. And so I think like the only way to solve difficult roadmap decisions is to just really communicate and understand and listen to all members of the team that are trying to contribute to the roadmap. Because otherwise, not listening to the team will just result in a mess of the wrong steps. Yeah, it's interesting to see cost-benefit and the communication part of it. Because um, if we think about it, I'm coming in with a certain perspective. You're coming in with a different perspective. Mm -hmm. Do you have any suggestions or ways you would like to change the cost benefit analysis and make it a little more complicated so that we can do a better negotiation when it comes to roadmap. Yeah, I think that the most important thing we have to do is understand our own values and put those on the top of the of the analysis chart, right? Like, okay, this is our current value. This is our current mission. And everything else needs to fall from that. So things like, this is where tech debt often falls for, for the engineers listening, because tech debt is unable to really speak to value and mission most of the time. But having that be the number one thing and filtering through that, you know, okay, this is what our goals are. And then I think the other important thing is it's really important to have a variety of effort values on your roadmap. So you can't just be doing all small items because then your product is not advancing enough. It's not testing the market enough. And you can't just have huge items either because then your current users suffer. You need to find a balance on your roadmap between different levels of cost projects and different levels of benefit or different um, approaches of benefit, whether it's market benefit or user or current users and product benefit. I think that's like the best thing to do is, is to add diversity into the analysis. How do you usually, for example, if you were prioritizing your roadmap, how would you make sure that you have the right level of diversity for the next, say, quarter? So I can talk about my finance app. There's two kind of ways that I'm deciding about what I need to build next. One is I'm constantly doing user interviews. I'm learning about how people are using the product and what their needs are. So that's more market testing approach is to really understand, okay, this is mental model people have in their head of their finances. And this is how I could like build to that. Then the other thing is the small stuff, the product user stuff. What are the usability features that I need? So for example, a lot of people have said that they don't want to even start using my app because they're too annoyed to enter in 
transactions each time. And it's like, okay, well, those are like two pretty big features. One is something that will actually get people to use my product. And the other is something that will ensure product market fit. And so I will then need to decide which of these do I want to work on. And most likely that will be in tandem, that I will be doing product work, design work of understanding what features need to be built as I'm doing engineering work and putting in automated transactions. You know, it's the exact same thing we're talking about is this exact same thing that I do. Process of doing a little bit of both at the same time. Yeah. It's interesting you talk about how you get feedback for the Feel Good app because as a product marketer, I personally believe the best way to get feedback from a customer is directly talking to them. Mm-hmm. Whether you're sitting in on a customer success interview or you're doing it yourself, you are have the ability to talk to a customer and understand, okay, what does their roadmap look like? How does our solution fit into their whole stack and why they're using our product, what they're what they need more from it. And you can ask very targeted questions to the customer and understand because when I'm when I'm having a conversation with the customer, I can understand the context. So I personally believe one-on-ones with customers is a great way to get feedback and it's and it should definitely be valued more than other collection methods. I'm with you on the fact that interviews are like the best way to get feedback. But I am not with you on translating that to being higher priority on the roadmap. I think that like when you do an interview, you get like a lot of abstract information and you have to do a lot of like design work on that information to really understand like what needs to be built and what the value of it is. And that I think is part of the reason why a lot of teams like don't end up even doing feedback because it's just easier to look at your conversion funnel and see, oh, if we fix these things, it might bump the funnel differently. And I hate that as well, because where are the users in that? You know, I I think like we should be talking to users at both, we should be talking to users at that stage of like your conversion funnel, as well as the, the broader interviews with the design process. And I think like, it's just a lot of work and then it ends up not happening, which sucks. It definitely is a lot of work and I agree that it is. But the the one-on-ones, in my opinion, are great for long-term roadmap, roadmap planning. You can really understand the direction the customer wants us to go in. Is that the direction that the customer is expecting us to go in? Like those two questions can't be answered inside a room without the customer present. Mm-hmm. Um, so one-on-one interviews, the kinds I'm talking about are great to actually answer those questions. I can talk to a customer and understand what are they looking for? What are they expecting from us? And that information can then be translated into, okay, when we're prioritizing different big features for our long-term roadmap, how do we do that? We have mm-hmm. this feedback and we can use it to prioritize. Like the design thinking that you're th- talking about, we can use mm-hmm. that to also incorporate it into smaller features that we're already considering. Mm. smaller features bug fixes we can prioritize those so that they're aligned with our bigger goals right yeah um, I think so I, I that's why I think these one-on-ones are incredibly important yeah I agree with you I think maybe where a lot of teams struggle is with balancing that long-term thinking with like the right now thinking I think that can be very hard to do but is very necessary. Moving on from negotiating roadmap, 
on a very high level, let's talk about how companies actually do it. So in the most recent news, Twitter's back up. So that's always fun. We are noticing that Elon Musk has been obviously working on the Twitter roadmap and he's been trying to figure out new ways to monetize the platform. And recently he realized that his personal account is not getting as much engagement as he probably wants. His claim is that he has hundreds of millions of followers and he's getting tens of thousands of views, which is like less than a fraction of it, which is interesting. I think that a crowded platform like Twitter, views can be a very complicated thing. But at the other angle, what we want to talk about is the disarray that Twitter is really going through right now and how that results in the kind of platform and the kind of user experience that we're seeing. So a great quote in this article that we read was from a current employee at Twitter where he says that when you're working on a roadmap, you ship your org chart. And if it's chaos right now, then that's what they're shipping, chaos. And it's a great way to see how the internal organization really impacts what you ship to the customer, right? So you need to have that level of communication. You have to have that level of trust within to be able to portray that outward. Definitely. The other thing that the article talks about is how the only thing that they're working on is putting out fires, one, two, impossible tasks, and three, efficiency, but they don't have any guidance. So efficiency, whatever that means. And I think what Aditya and I were talking about mission and vision being at the top of your cost benefit analysis when you're deciding the roadmap, that that's exactly where they're struggling with, right? Like efficiency without guidelines. So they they have like a mission of efficiency, but at the same time, it's not well put out. Impossible tasks is not random. Well, I think product teams are built to solve impossible tasks. I think they were talking uh, about one impossible task that I found really interesting is the emotional firing that Musk is doing right now. And mm. where, where they talked about when you're having a conversation where Musk is involved, you really have to think about in the sense, like, what is the least fireable thing that I can say in the moment? And if you do end up getting fired, you're immediately out and someone else has to step in and take over whatever and you're It's impossible for developers to come in and look at code and deduce it. So mm. these developers coming onto these projects, they're having to become code archaeologists. And it takes time to just decode what has been already done and that's time lost right for sure and it's time that's not being worked on towards the mission and the goal of the company i think we'll continue to see what musk's twitter does and becomes like i think all good things take time who knows if this is a good thing yet (laughs) so one thing about what's going on over at twitter it's interesting to see what the the change that's been happening in the last few months when you have a forced leadership like we're seeing at twitter you're seeing a lack of direction in the company right so we were talking about negotiating all companies go through a phase of turmoil over certain periods 
right? When they do different levels of growth, they go through a certain level of turmoil, but they settle down and they figure out what they need to do and they do it, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But what we're seeing at Twitter is just a lot of turmoil, a lot of just emotions everywhere and no strategy. And that's what reports from Twitter employees being like, there's no strategy to what's going on. Yep. A lot of the people who are still at Twitter are just like, the entire job market sucks right now. That's the kind of culture that you want to avoid, right? Yeah, I think one of the things I agree completely, like, it's not fun when you're like, projecting so much failure, you know, I think one of the things that I'm seeing the lean startups really famous build measure learn loop, I think Twitter's having a really poor time of building, measuring, learning, and then building again to measure it, to learn. A lot of the features that have come out, Twitter Blue, the view counts feature, they are not, they're being released really wide, being measured and like to a lot of failure. And that is perpetuating this like bad vibes from Twitter. I think if they like slowed down, made smaller build, measure, learn loops, right? tested things in smaller groups, maybe just starting with like mock-ups first and interviews, interviewing people, right? We always talk about, get talk to our users, get our users in here. I think Twitter could start slowly building itself up instead of right now, which is like essentially stumbling over everything that they're doing. I would really, really like to see Twitter do a more steady build, measure, learn progress, you know? Yeah, I, I like the build measure. That's a loop that I'm aware of. And it's, it, it needs to be done in a couple of, couple of like layers, right? In my opinion, where you mm-hmm. have a build measure loop, measure loop going on in a bigger sense, where it's like maybe yearly or even longer if you have a big vision. And then you have the smaller quarterly loops going on. And then you have like the individual sprint loops. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all just like collect and they like stack on top of each other. But and, and you get progress, right? Yeah, exactly. And you end up with the big, it's kind of like you achieve any goal. You have a big goal and then you like break it down into certain pieces and then you start working on the small ones. But it just seems like what we're seeing at Twitter is that unless came on board, he didn't do the analysis and the strategy work that was necessary to actually create those multiple layers of goals and yeah. then work on it. Yeah, I think one of the other problem potentially that Twitter's having is that there were so many people that got fired that there's like a huge power vacuum going on. And there could be a lot of people just like not committing to doing like good work and good learning things to build product. And instead they're focused on trying to like up their own social status in the company yeah the problematic it's an interesting argument when it comes to the amount of firing that we saw in twitter they really just that everyone was working on something and now one person's doing five people's job or is it really that the other side of the story that we're we do sometimes see where twitter was very overstaffed and it 
it did not need to have as much staff as it did, which is interesting. Yeah. I think there might be a little bit of both stories here. Mm. I think maybe they did do a little overfiring, but I do think that Twitter was very, very overstaffed. And yeah, and very bureaucratic, be, right? Yeah, very bureaucratic, where even in this article we saw, they would create these committees to do work and to like plan out strategy and stuff like that and would actually not get anywhere. And these people would literally just be going and creating something that didn't actually go anywhere and then coming back to the drawing board to create something new. So it's interesting to see because at the same time, like, yes, we're seeing layoffs all across the board, but the amount of layoffs we saw at Twitter was instrumentally larger than any other mm-hmm. company that we're seeing. Based on the previous size, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm it's very interesting what's going on in there. They've posted some senior and principal positions at the if we want to apply. Do you really do you do you see yourself wanting to work with Musk though? Not really, but at the same time, I think it would be like a really good experience that I wouldn't be able to say no to. I think it would be like the challenge of taking his what's the word like on a whim the challenge of taking his whims of product decisions and like trying to make something good out of those things right the balance between satisfying leadership and satisfying users would be very difficult and i'd be interested to try it i think in general some like twitter just needs to slow down I think there's, yeah, there's definitely a speed that a company just can't go at. It's different for every company for sure, but yeah, it's, it does seem like Twitter's going a little faster than they can handle. On to our last and final section. Our fun fact. Back in the day, there was this company called Aardvark. They were looking to solve the problem of searching for the best things on the internet so today when we want to know what the best restaurant is it's a very subjective thing but we look it up and there's tons of articles that pop up and uh, sourced from different people back in the day the web wasn't very good at collecting this information it was much better at sourcing information like what is albert einstein's height and not what is the best restaurant to go to in toronto so Aardvark ended up trying to solve this problem and they did it using personal assistance. So they hired a bunch of people and the people would just answer all the questions. It's a very non-scale, but in doing that, they ended up learning a ton about how people want to ask questions, how people want questions to be answered, and they were able to like develop the roadmap they needed to get to the product. I think that's a, like a really awesome example of low scale and high like labor work to get a product built and get a roadmap decided on. Mm, very cool. So at their Mountain View headquarters, Google, instead of mowing their lawn, they rent out goats to eat their grass. They will bring in herders with up to 200 goats to eat the grass instead of mowing it. 
Whoa, that's so interesting. That is very cool. I in which I office? In, in like the Mountain View headquarters. Oh, wow. I never knew that. Yeah. It's a cool way to give back to the planet, you know? It's yeah, very, very interesting. That is so cool. I like it. <laughs> I, like I it. love that. Okay, <laughs> cool. Great fun fact with the PT. All right, well, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. Had an awesome conversation today. We, on this show, we do really want to talk about products. I'm doing this to learn, and our, to learn and express ourselves. If you have any ideas for topics, we would love to have you be a part of this podcast with us. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. All right, bye, guys. Bye. Very good.